0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live.
1: Hello, welcome to the Wednesday Late Late Show with me, Hannah Wilson. I have taken over the Wednesday Late Late Show because tonight I have a special guest. I am joined by Andy Goldhawk, who's going to be talking about his new book, The Super Quick Guide to learning theories and teaching processes. So feel free to listen in or write in any this questions you may have. This is
0: Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello,
1: welcome. And can you hear me all okay, like, hey Andy?
2: Hello, hi Hannah. Yes, I can hear you.
1: Fabulous. Well, thank you for joining me on this Wednesday night. Uh it feels like this week is one of those weeks that it should be like a Friday night, not a Wednesday night. <laughs> how long this week is going. I've <laughs> oh, still no. got open evening to go tomorrow, so it's oh, like goodness. It's it's I think that's the uh, Tom was talking about it earlier on Twitter. It's it feels like this September is a long September, but um it's still nice to be back in the classroom and getting going so thank you for joining me do you want to chat about your kind of uh background in education and and then we'll chat about the book a little introduction about yourself
2: yeah absolutely um i trained as a long time ago now about 20 years ago as an fe lecturer um and i first trained as a spanish teacher um and I never got a job as a Spanish teacher. So I ended up teaching uh, ESOL um, in colleges for about 15 years um, until 2020. And then uh, in 2020, just before COVID, I took the leap over into HE um, for a bit of job security, for one thing. Um, so I'm currently working at UE in Bristol, and I'm doing a little bit of teaching, a teacher training. But my day job is actually not in teaching at the minute. Um, I'm a basically a senior bid developer across the social sciences, so amazing, that's me
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a very very varied background. But I think that's the thing that makes us teachers is we all kind of develop through teaching and kind of find our own little paths um so what brought you to write this book then?
2: Um well, I'll try and keep it succinct. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did a doctorate in education from 2015 to 2019 as I as I was finishing that off I finished that off in 2020 and it's fairly typical to start writing journal papers academic stuff after that I didn't I didn't really want to do that I was a bit exhausted but I still wanted to keep learning so I this is a very non-traditional way to end up writing a book <laughs> um, I opened I, I had a a brainwave um, in the car one day that I was thinking, where are trainee teachers, lots of trainee teachers communicate on social media. So I ended up um, creating this Instagram page, which I think you found called Learning Theory Shared. Um, And I was basically doing it for me to keep up my own learning on different theories and approaches. But also I thought, well, it might be of use to to other people, trainees and other teachers. Um, And that ended up being this book a couple of years later. Um, so Uh, it's never planned
1: (laughs) (laughs) no that's the thing and i was i was like i knew that you were the person to come on my show when i read the start of your book where you said about um everything comes in your in your car when you're driving along with loud music which is definitely (laughs) me on my way to school as well i'm like that's where i have my best thoughts i I don't know what it is but it is but um and and that's my thing as well is that because it is you can definitely I wish I had this book when I was training because there's just so much to absorb and people kind of tell you so much. And then it's really hard to kind of remember what's what, and I've, I've got my trainees in tomorrow. So I, um, got my art trainees for the, my county and the next county, uh, coming over for the day. So I'm like, going to be like, get this book, this book like, cause I feel like I'm going to tell them loads oh. of information and give them loads of strategies and they're going to be like, what which one what, what was what and what does it mean and I think it, it is that it is really nice to kind of have it uh, in that place but also from the other side of it I'm doing my master's in um, education so I'm like oh, I quite enjoy it as well and from that point of view that having this kind of almost dictionary of everything but the nice thing is is the way that you've laid it out and the fact that you've kind of you've got what they are and then you kind of say a little bit whether you agree with them or disagree with the positives and negatives of them and then to kind of further reading and things so from from my perspective from that point i'm like oh i can like this is going to really help with my writing as well so it's it's not just from from that point of view i think it's quite nice that it works for everybody but what made you kind of put lay it out like that because it's definitely different
2: um i just wanted uh well, like, yeah, I was just thinking about me twenty years younger um as a trainee teacher, and i you know so many of us as trainees, and then later on throughout our careers, you know these sort of terms, even the term pedagogy, so the very basic you know learning and more complex stuff and theories of learning and approaches, inquiry learning, you just start hearing them in classrooms don't uh, staff rooms and in your teacher training classes um and mentor people just start using this language and I just thought oh my goodness Um, I don't want to keep stopping everyone every 10 seconds to say what does that word mean so um, uh, yeah that was so it's just the aim is for it to be each page just doesn't have like one word Uh, my aim was my mission was to have a book that didn't have one redundant or superfluous word I just wanted to get to the punch like what does this mean Um, And then somewhere along the line as well, I developed this interest in, or I noticed that in staff rooms, some people get very passionate about theories and approaches. And I, I wasn't always certain that we were thinking critically about them. Um, so it was really important to me that I just put the that I mark on each page, which is a, a, you know, a potential pitfall or somewhere I'm summarizing somebody who's critiqued it or I just think that's so important to, you know, think about something in the round before we launch into a particular approach. And then. Um, yeah, so it's a springboard. It's a springboard into the academic literature. So if somebody really gets into inquiry learning, then I've just popped in a couple of references for, for you know, what I perceive to be really good literature that, um, that goes more deeply into that, that approach. Um, and then the fourth part on each page is signposting. So, you know, if you're interested in this, you might be interested in if you if you read the page on operant conditioning, then it would make sense to also understand what classical conditioning is. So um, those are the four parts. But yeah, it was basically the antidote to the 600 page tome on <laughs> how to be a teacher. That's, you know, they used to be waved around um maybe they still are you know as a, a trainee teacher and others you know if you're really busy and you've suddenly got marking and planning and trying to work out what it is to be a teacher and flicking through chapters of these huge books that's what i wanted to this is an antidote to that or it's just an alternative way to uh to that
1: and i think i think it is that that um as, as a trainee teacher there's a lot to take on board and kind of having that place that you can kind of look to for, or what did that mean? Somebody mentioned that, but because also you, you're kind of a little bit embarrassed in those early days and you're like, oh, I don't want to ask what that meant because I've forgotten, um, but yeah. you've kind of got them all there. Or if you're, especially with today, with the the benefits of having online CPD, it's great that you can kind of, um attend all that but also there's kind of yeah. quite often there can be loads of people in on it and you don't want to ask stupid questions and it's like oh actually i can just double check what that means and i remember there's a classic one in here there's blooms tax- taxonomy and i remember that early doors some everyone was talking about it. it was like yeah i use blooms and i'm like um yeah yeah me me too i'm like which which, one of which words was it which one is it what order is it um and i'd like yeah i remember having to go and google it and search it for it all the time because i just figured beg- got, which order it was or what words specifically that you had to use. So it's, it's nice that kind of, I I think I would have loved it <laughs> as a trainee, definitely to be able to kind of dip into it. And uh, I guess it's, it is, uh, they were talking about this just on, on Twitter as well, about kind of teacher workload and the fact that that is like a big thing now. And I think yeah. that, and especially with the trainee teachers is that you don't want them to kind of exhaust themselves and give them loads of stuff and, run out of opportunities to kind of teach because they've exhausted themselves trying to read all this stuff and work it all out like having kind of like it's almost like a little bible of kind of all the different terms and have one place to look for it um and if they wanted to kind of then go further they've got those signposts which is really nice
2: well thank you i'm so i'm i'm so glad that you you've taken the book in the way it's intended you know, I I do I sometimes use the word like a mini Bible for a little compendium of stuff that will be useful for teachers, and um, I've what I've heard that I had some lovely feedback from experienced teachers about the fact that you know you forget stuff as well. So you remember the term Bloom's taxonomy, but not always all of the verbs associated with it. Um, and then you can kind of skim the internet at break time <laughs> trying to remember them or something. Um, so yeah. I'm glad you picked up on that.
1: But it is, it is that as well. As even experienced teachers, we need to remind ourselves of all the different kind of words. and And I had that a few years ago. I had a trainee teacher and it was during COVID. So in fairness, I didn't have as long with her because we had a large chunk of it. Uh, doing online learning at home. And I think maybe I'd have spoken to her about it at some point had we been in school. But I remember her going for an interview at the end of the year and she was like, they asked me about this and I didn't know what it means. And I was like, oh, that's just this. It was just a different word for it. But because yes. we hadn't had that time in the classroom, I hadn't kind of, it was one of the things that we'd kind of lost a little bit trying to get us skilled up as quick as we can, having not been in the classroom, was all all those kind of key Terms, and I think we, when we've been in teaching for so long, we kind of forget them all. Um, yeah, and it's it is it is nice because there's a definitely, like you said, I read through it and I was like, oh, I've forgotten about that, or oh yeah, I do that, but I don't, I I I didn't know it was called that. Um, as well, is quite often another one.
2: Yeah, I I you know what I learned so much in the writing of this book myself, and that was kind of part of the selfish pleasure of of doing doing the writing. Um just small things as well, sometimes fairly trivial but but you know interesting and other times more important, like you know that Maslow's hierarchy of needs um it's another kind of well well known well heard of um idea, but just that Maslow never never conceptualized that in in a pyramid, so we always see things in triangles um which kind of infers a hierarchy of importance or things go in a certain order when whereas they they don't necessarily. Um and also with Bloom, you know, that's in a tri that's often seen in a in a triangle with knowledge at the bottom, you know, this is the lowest or the most base thing that people achieve, whereas it's not intended in that way. It's not intended that knowledge is somehow less important than evaluation. So yeah each one has its own little wonders if you're geeky like me <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh i very much am um and i think that's the because I was even like you've got you've got quite a lot in here i will talk about kind of the order i think in a little bit but um the, you've got the Johari window in there, which I've been learning about on my masters, and I'd only so okay. I've only just come across it. So for me, I was like, ah, oh, you explained it well better than my course did. I was like, oh, I wish I had this when I was writing all my Johari window things. But I think for, for me, it's almost like it all kind of clicks that the, the like the little information, the re- reflections, is to kind of remember the blind spot of each kind of rule. Don't forget that there's kind of this bit or or there's. Like, cause quite often we can be like, oh my gosh, this is like that idea, isn't it? Of getting kids really engaged in something and they're really excited and, and they all look busy, but is it actually yes. kind of going in it, it's to remember that these strategies are really, really good, but remember the flip side of kind of what they all do.
2: Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love Johari window. That's something I came across in part of my, um, role was was as a teaching and learning coach for about seven years so I became more that's why there's a chapter on coaching actually um it's me kind of exposing my own uh, professional background a bit there but yeah Jahari window was just something that's so neat um but yeah with all the coaching approaches um yeah it's a challenge isn't it if I think people you're working with as a coach or a colleague need to be in the right headspace for um you know uh critical friend feedback should we say or you know sensitive conversations about practice so yeah that's a good one
1: i just think as as teachers it's good that we reflect and think about where our kind of flaws are with our teaching because we all sit and are quite happy to be comfortable with the bits that we're good at but also kind of and also is is from an slt perspective to actually kind of look at what your staff are doing and where the blind spots are in in the school as a whole is quite an interesting aspect and and from a student perspective like kind of where how does your student cohort work where are the little blind spots i think like at the moment is kind of in the resilience of the kids that's kind of gone over kind of covid and how do we kind of build that back up and and kind of so it's I think I just think I really like it I, I was I feel like I'm really late to the game discovering the Jari window but I'm like this is my, <laughs> this is the thing that I'm very into at the moment um but yeah so I was, I was very delighted to see that I was in there but I think like should we go up? so uh coaching is nearer the end isn't it I can't just I'm like that's right chapter. um so you start with a foundational concept so do you want to talk through uh those ones or kind of what made Uh, you start there
2: well yeah yeah absolutely um that was quite late to the game really i just realized that i needed some really straightforward definitional um pages so when i had two wonderful wonderful colleagues at ue um professor helen king and dr sean mudd they reviewed my early draft and they said yeah yeah we like it but why not have a page on learning itself just simplifying the concept of learning and one one or two other suggestions so that's all it is it's just a very quick nod to just thinking about what it is it's the acquisition of knowledge but you know it's there's all sorts of things in the literature describing what it is um and that pedagogy is understood as the art or act of teaching but there's you know it has an interesting um uh etymology that word and there's a there's an another word as well andragogy which hasn't really caught on which is you know the teaching of adults so there's a few pages on that because I used to teach adults um that was close to my close to my heart um what else we got epistemology I couldn't help but add that in because when I was doing my doctorate we would, my classmates and I would kind of whisper to each other in the class you know in, in part one of it the the program you know what does epistemology mean you know do we because when you get to doctoral level this is kind of nodding and you know nodding sagely and scratching your chin as if you understand all the the big words um but we still didn't we were still just normal people and teachers who didn't understand the long words (laughs) so I thought I've got to get the word epistemology in there The and I just thought that would be so I would love to have known that this is a whole concept when I was training like the just the consideration of what constitutes knowledge and how, how we arrive at knowledge. And then, yeah, metacognition, critical thinking, the whole book really is I hope underpinned by trying to support pe- the reader in developing their own critical thinking of all these concepts. So I had to have a page on that um, and reflective practice. So yeah, it was quite a late edition, but these kind of underpin everything that follows in the book. And I just didn't want to assume anything. I didn't want to assume people, um, you know, I just wanted to start from the beginning, basically.
1: <laughs> it, it, it's that. it's it's There's quite deep language in it, um, but it's also, it doesn't skip any bits. It doesn't presume that, you know, the other bits to get there. So it, it's it's quite nice because sometimes you're like, oh, I do. I know that. I know that. And then it's like, oh, no, that, ah, that's what that is. <laughs> and it's like, it builds you into it, um, which is nice.
2: Yeah, I hope so.
1: And then... Um, this I I I'm the art teacher. Can you tell? So I love all the little pictures and the diagrams on the bottom as well because it just seems to make it that little bit more fun. But also, you the, the, like the diagrams are really useful in terms of like like you were saying the hierarchy of needs and things and thinking about how they work together.
2: Yeah, I wanted it to be. I mean, to, speaking to the you know the images that really comes from, um, you know, the Instagram page. It, it was it started off with. I just wanted it to be accessible you know not scary and text dense um and then my lovely editor amy thornton at sage just uh let me basically have a corresponding image for each um and i hope that it might help to uh, the read you know readers to kind of retain what's on the page as well if they remember a mouse eating a bit of cheese and that's about behaviorism <laughs> kind of thing you know um but yeah it's no more than that i just wanted it to be really accessible for the lay reader and I love pictures I actually originally I had all sorts of things like um like Yoda and um all sorts (laughs) of copyrighted things that we couldn't use in the end (laughs) but um we've got I was really pleased with the images that Sage arrived at
1: no I I completely agree because there's there's like Everything from the little, the humanist education, where it's the little, the little people, the little, uh, knitted people. <laughs> it is, it is, it's like so there's little. I'm like, oh, I remember that one. That one was that picture. Um, it is. It just, it just kind of brings it to life, and it, it does that thing that the there's quite scary language in it, but there's, but the pictures and stuff make it. You feel more relaxed and easy to, to kind of access it. From I think, if I was a student, I I wouldn't find it as daunting to kind of be like, oh no, okay, I do know. Rather than having loads of text and and kind of just this is everything you need to know, and it it not being it just makes it more pleasant if that makes sense.
2: <laughs> yeah, it you know what is interesting as well with the front page because Sage said to me. Um the editor said to me, well, what would you like the front page to, the, sorry, the cover to look like? And I said, I don't mind too much. I just don't want a naff, boring looking because you know, there's just endless academic ebooks about teacher yeah. training, with boring covers. And some of them are brilliant books, but they're just a real turn off. And I, and so so Amy said, let's just not have an image. Let's just blow up the words and make them colorful. So, you know, I hadn't thought about this before actually, but that's probably the only page that doesn't have an image on it, <laughs> the front cover. But, um,
1: yeah. Um. So we've got foundation content, and then we've got theories of learning, and then kind of educational frameworks. Was there because you've got nine in, uh ten in total? Sorry. Um. Yeah. How did how did you decide to split it up and and kind of because that would be my hardest thing would be to work yeah. out what goes where <laughs> and when.
2: Yeah, that was really tricky. Um, the brief really was, um, to write. Um, A third of the book, so I had a budget of between 100 and 120 pages, and a third was to be what I perceived to be absolutely essential theories and approaches, um, commonly referenced in, you know, common sort of teacher speak and teacher training, so a third of the things I had to see as critical, a third of the things had to be stuff that that I like, and so that was lovely when I heard that. So the chapters on language learning, because I taught ESOL, English for Speakers of Other Languages. So I, I just had this inherent interest in, in that and different approaches and also coaching. So the chapters seven and eight really are speaking to my own, it's like my own, like proper geek out, my own professional background. Um, but also chapter six, because I'm, I'm so interested in um, what might stop learning from happening. And it's really, there's much less I think about that. What might be going on when when learning isn't taking place? And then anyway, so the third third was what was the third third? So a stuff a third was like critically important. A third stuff was what I like, and I've forgotten what the other third was. Um, oh no, uh, yeah. Anyway, there was another third. <laughs> so it was, it was <laughs> the brief was to split it into thirds. So I did it that way. And then you're right; it was really tricky to, um organize it so the chapters came together right at the end when I had I think is it 113 maybe um, or 110 or something pages things that are covered so it was just arranging them into kind of coherent structured bunches um, and some of those were easier and some of them were trickier and you know some of them could be placed in other chapters and I'm really aware of that you know um, but Uh, yeah that was tricky so I just did it old school on a big piece of A2 paper and with lots of like arrows pointing in different directions and I just arrived at these 10 chapters
1: because that's that's the thing so you've got the uh, so you've got the first ones with kind of like the introduction and all the kind of theory then you've got kind of how the brain works and how the students learn and then you've got kind of like you say, the factors that affect them so it is is as well it's not just kind of the theory it is it is for like those students that kind of thinking about why things happen and why they learn the way they learn it's not just this is what this is and and these are the different kind of pedagogies listed it kind of does go deeper which is which is nice
2: um yeah I, I I think so I think it's really important to sort of think in a structured way about if I mean, I can speak more confidently to sort of adult students, but I think the context is irrelevant. I think it's the same for everyone as humans. But, you know, if somebody isn't learning something um, like what might be like, how can we sort of investigate and explore that, you know, like in our own minds and with that student. Um, and one of my heroes is a guy called Nadeliris. Um, and he's got this, I, I refer to him in that chapter, the, weight of the the factors affecting learning chapter. And he speaks to three dimensions and where the issue might be. So it might be the content of what they're learning, what students learning. Um, it might be the personal incentive, the volition of the student, what's going on in their mind, but also the interaction between the student and the teacher and the classroom and the, all the interactions taking place. So you can hone in on what the issue might be. And I just think that can be so helpful. Um, in you know the attempt to diagnose what might be going on.
1: Yeah I, I I think that's something that's potentially kind of lost a little bit in kind of teacher training as well as is, is getting the students to understand kind of it, that kid isn't misbehaving because you're not teaching properly there's other things going on and you need to read it and discover it and understand kind of what their barriers are to learning and what's going on and adapt as opposed to it's like well that kid's just a naughty child because they're not just naughty children there's other things that are going on and it's yes. it, it's working out how to get them in I remember um quite early on in how many years was I in Oh, I might have been like four four years into my teaching career and everybody yeah. at this new school that I was at was talking about this kid how awful he was how horrific he was uh, they were telling me about how he's chucking chairs across rooms. And I was like, I must not teach this child. I've never heard of him. And I got so many people spoke about him. I was like, right, I'm going to look on my register and check. And I did teach him and I was like, he's good as gold for me. And I remember even he used to come outside my room and he used to have he used to have languages which didn't go on quite so well with uh before my lesson he used to pace up and down outside my room and i'd pop out i was like you're right and he's like yeah i'm just trying to calm down because i really want to be in your lesson <laughs> and he would stay oh. behind and help me wash up and stuff and i was just like he's a different kid but we just obviously had that relationship that i always praised him and made him feel okay but other scenarios didn't and i just think as teachers we it, it's harder now because there obviously are a lot more mental issues since covid and i think that's the thing that everyone kind of is struggling with because we're having to learn so many different ways of adapting for so many more kids as opposed to it being one or two in the room but i think that's just such an important chapter to have included in there
2: yeah i mean it thank you it is it is for me i just um yeah it's really interesting isn't it because there's things that you can that that we can kind of quite straightforwardly talk about, you know, um, like approaches to classroom management and people and personalities and subjects and disciplines and interests. But um, yeah, there's something that's harder, isn't it? To kind of think about and penetrate in terms of behavior and how might people be different with, with different teachers and different subjects. Yeah. It's a really complex one. My wife sometimes says that my wife's a history teacher and she sometimes has that with, um, she said to me over the years like oh that person seems you know is, is okay in my class but apparently they're really it's really tricky in other in other subjects um so yeah
1: and and the other one oh I, I, tom's listening but i'm going to say it anyway you've put in learning styles now my thing is that everybody says that it doesn't exist don't they everyone says that this theory has been um misproven through the lack of results but i'm dyslexic and um, I really struggle to learn, especially when there's like loads of texts and things like that. So for mm. me, I'm very much a I, if I do it, I will remember it. Um, same as like I'm, I'm very much I don't need to look at instructions to build a wardrobe. I just need to look at the picture or just physically just look at it and physically do it and I can do it. So I'm very much that. I don't know whether it's just the artist in me. I very much love having a video demonstration for the kids to watch. I very much have pictures. I very much have annotations of how to do it. Um, so for me, I'm like, I, I, I think it does. They do exist because that's essentially what we do to scaffold mm. lessons to help children access it. But um, I, I was like, I, I respect you for making putting learning styles in there, even though every, there's like a lot of debate of it not kind of existing in teaching anymore
2: yeah i mean i heard frank coffield speak years ago he's the person who led i think the first major study or investigation of uh learning styles i'm not an expert on this but my understanding is so it's not um so there's quite there's been quite a few sort of meta-analyses of these i think um I think the position is not that people don't have different strengths or preferences in terms of like you've described. I think the issue that they they would so this is me summarizing them is um, and the issue is that. So there have been lots proposed. I think it was like there's been kind of 72 different conceptions of learning styles with different categories. You know, Honey and Mumford's one of the best known. Know activists, pragmatists, and theorists, and things, and they're very seductive because we go, Oh, yeah, I'm a pragmatist, or I'm an you know, I'm a starter, you know, I get things started, or I'm an, and there's all sorts of different categories. Um, if you've got such a range of different conceptions of learning styles, which one's right? Um, yeah. if you're teaching a class of 30 students with like they've all got different preferences and maybe they like two some people like one others like three what do you do with that in the planning so how do you navigate that um so i think that's that's kind of a summary of the issues i think as well they're speaking to the empirical evidence that exists um in terms of like if that's why i was really careful to word this one so it's, <laughs> yeah. um, i've got the page open um bait so teaching based on such categories so it's um, it's not that that there there aren't preferences among humans in terms of how they quite acquire knowledge it's like what do you do with that as a teacher which one do you pick why would you pick that over the other and if you go with honey and Mumford for example how do you factor that into a lesson you know who do you for example like so if um, Lucy for example, if Lucy in your art class is a really good sort of um, doer, she like just likes picking up a paintbrush and practicing. And other people like watching videos or watching you or listening to the um, like the technique, um, like Bob Ross style, listening and watching. Um, he's great, isn't he? Um, yeah. Then, you know, that's so. Do we do we then need to? Uh, play to her strength. So if 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 it's if it seems evident that she's really good at just picking up a paintbrush and doing it, do we do we kind of reinforce that by just saying, yeah, grab a paintbrush and start painting? Or is the job to then help them develop like the other their other skills? So, you know, I there's I think that it's problematic in certain ways. But I I certainly don't think that they're just dismissing the idea of having people having different sort of preferences I'm, I'm, in I
1: mean that the kind of the uh uh the educational kind of staff room kind of game that doesn't exist anymore <laughs> that was just a fad it's gone but um but I do think it's an important thing that people still need to consider and the fact that people do learn differently but yeah you're right they need to strengthen the other areas and I think that's kind of can where a school can kind of make themselves if you can get students to understand the different learning styles and the way that they kind of can learn then they're going to do better in in their revision if they can kind of access that learning and work out so for, for me I didn't realize to quite late on that um if I spoke out loud then I retained the information much easier than if I was just to read it a hundred times if I say it out loud I can remember it Um, so it, I think it's important that we kind of encourage them in in that respect to kind of find out what works for them but um i was like i was like oh i like the fact that that's in there and even though it's it's and like you said i like the little caveats that this is this is kind of what everyone thinks about it um yeah it, and it's very well worded <laughs> definitely i
2: mean i had to i had to include it and on um on instagram and elsewhere i know some people are really sensitive about this i mean i'm in agreement with the, the critique of, of these the concept of learning styles but I'm really aware that you know I think people have the concept this concept quite broadly uh, absorbed into their mind quite early on in teaching careers and it, it can become such an sort of an embedded concept that people are quite sensitive to it being critiqued as they might receive it it's like they're teaching being critiqued um and it's not I think you're right to not just dismiss it out of hand but you know you're that's exactly I mean that's kind of music to my ears that you're not just dismissing it and you're thinking well hold on a second like something here resonates what is it for me Um, and then you know that's why I've got those um, the references to the analyses of learning styles there if anybody's wants to read more deeply because there's 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 loads there like the Caulfield one the first one you can just google it and it's online learning styles and pedagogy and post-16 learning so that's specifically about adult learning as well so again that they, the coffee it's, it's almost like a seminal study it's about post-16 learning as well so it's um i don't want people to just take my word for it this is my best kind of summary of <laughs> yeah. the concept and you know i've tried to be very sort of delicate for there's a, there's another one which is fascinating actually um which my colleague sean said that i've got to get in there what's it called the cones of learning or something you know when it's like 10 percent of what you yes um,
1: how much you learn depending on what um uh, application you do yes
2: that's fascinating because i'd even use that in a teacher training session myself i'd showed it i'd shown it about 10 years ago oh the learning pyramid that's it um and you know when i read about this one um you know, it was just fascinating, actually. I think it came from, if I remember correctly, a business context where it was like just used as a heuristic um, and just like a simplified conceptualization of how people acquire um, information. But I think the person who, or one of the main people, Dale, who came up with it, you know, acknowledged that it was just a heuristic. It wasn't like this kind of empirically based thing, you know, that's that's been measured. You know, if you read something, you'll retain 10% of it kind of thing. So it's... Uh, but I see it all over the place on social media um, and I I used it so I was a bit embarrassed because I used it in, in my own, uh, in a training session myself about 10 years ago, uh, thinking oh that sounds nice and tidy. <laughs>
1: I remember you know, seeing it in, in kind of everybody's, it, that's that's the nice thing about this is it kind of, it's one of those that it, it goes through all the things that you've heard over the years and it kind of, it's quite nice because when when you teach and you're like this is the new the new version of this and and they don't quite under they get it but this kind of includes all of it and it explains it it explains it so well especially the positives and the negatives um which is really nice and i, I think the the uh because uh, that then continued on the from the learning pyramid the idea that now if students then try and teach each other they're more likely to retain it that's the new one um so and that everyone's trying to get their kids to teach each other, um, but I think that leads quite nicely onto kind of chapter five and and the way we learn and kind of thinking about the different ways that the that kind of information is taken on board and the way that we learn. Um, so it, it it just flows really nicely.
2: Well, thank you for saying that. <laughs> this one was, um, yeah. There's lots of different kind of iterations of learning, isn't there? Formal, informal, formal, non-formal incidental implicit you know so i just wanted to separate each one out and just acknowledge really that i mean it just really fascinates me that we learn we're learning throughout our lives things without consciously being aware of it for example some t- or, or sometimes we learn incidentally, we're doing something else, but we might learn, you might be playing tennis, but you might learn a, a kind of a nugget of useful math somehow about degrees or something from your tennis coach, or that's a really naff nice example, but um, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I just, that that was quite tricky actually separating them out and again, just be, trying to be as carefully in my articulation as possible about what the exact differences are in that chapter. Um, But yeah, I love that one. I love the um, incidental and implicit learning, even the difference between those two.
1: I I remember struggling with that earlier in in my teaching career and could never remember which way. So it's embarrassingly, I mean, in my defense, I was my first teaching job I got as a maternity cover. So my first ever lesson I taught was my interview lesson and I never had teacher training for two years. So I just went in and straight on taught. Um, wow. so I remember formal, uh, for the d- two different types of assessment, I even struggle with, I'm like, which one's, which, which one's the numbers and which ones the written bit. Um, so I think like, and I think we are embarrassed when we learn the teaching and, and there is so much for students to learn. It is just nice to have yeah. that place to kind of be like, Oh, I know exactly where I can find that information out super quick and make sure. And it, it's, it's not so much information that you're like, I'm not going to remember that, but it's, it is going to help kind of be able to recall it as well which is nice
2: I hope so yeah I mean that's why I just want it to be I just wanted it to be you know like I said sort of near the start that I just I didn't want to have anecdotes or background or it wasn't about like who who you know invented this theory or first conceptualized it you know I didn't even want to go as far as saying this is what it looks like in the classroom yeah um, I just wanted it to be this is what it means uh, think about this, this might be an issue, and this is where you can look more deeply. Um, and also, you know, I didn't, oh, no, I'm talking about the other one. You know, what's really interesting about this is I've written my second book since I wrote this one. Um, <laughs> so I like, even myself, I'm like, I have to have the book open and look at each page, but. <laughs> um,
1: How long did it take you to write?
2: The, uh, ooh, that's interesting so between about february and september 2022 last year so true. however many months is that? and then i uh, probably really annoying for the ed, the the publisher because um they sent me back the proof saying oh can you have a quick look and let us know if if you're unhappy with anything <laughs> I sent back quite a lot of notes and like added three pages and all sorts of different things um but yeah so lots of you know iterations and Um, even now I see a word in it that I'm like oh no there's a better word than that one Um, so the exercise of writing a book is really tricky um, in terms of you know you have to just be it has to be good enough if you're a perfectionist (laughs) you have to just go for good enough and as good as it can be
1: that's the thing I imagine it would I would I would spiral and I would never get it done because I'd constantly be changing it and then it'll probably be back to the original version though. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. Well, people, you know, people argue over the word, you know, um, form or type, you know, with my second one is going to be a super quick guide about learning activities. And, you know, I'm kind of wrestling my mind over comments that people have said to me over, you know, is it a a type of differentiation or a form of differentiation? Like for me, that's fairly interchangeable. Um, uh, but for some people, they feel strongly that there's one word that's right and one that isn't. Um, so I have to just go with one.
1: That That's the thing, because I think teaching varies so much from school to school, from age group to age group. But essentially there's the kind of the backbone's the same, but um, kind of the wording and stuff can be different. And I think that's because obviously, you've got quite um you go through a few of the kind of acronyms in the later chapters so you've got the grow model and the clear model and i think they're quite nice to kind of just be able to remember what the letters stand for and have like clear explanations of things
2: yeah i i was a bit um kind of overwhelmed when i trained to be a coach i did a sort of a level 3 coaching thing as i became a teaching and learning coach and all these models were kind of thrown at us and I thought, well, they all sound about the same. <laughs> and that they often are pretty similar in terms of the 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 sequence of of what's done. But um there are differences. And um yeah, and the Jahari window is kind of different again. It's more, you know, it's a kind of an interpersonal communication tool, I think. I don't think it was written to be like a coaching tool. Um but yeah, it's interesting. I think the important thing there for, for people interested in like coaching as an approach to management or teaching or working with peers is that, you know, these are like the grow models, the best known one, I think, isn't it? And they're really useful as you, if you, you know, if you start to apply a coaching approach, it's really good to have a structure and a framework, but um I think lots of people most, it's not like they move away from them, but you sort of think less consciously about, okay, now we're on to like step three. It becomes more of a natural fluid conversation and it can go in circles and things don't have to necessarily be in an order. So I think they're all good, you know, springboards into coaching. Um,
1: And I think that's the thing with, um, I think coaching is quite often like not necessarily thought about enough because i think in teaching especially you want to kind of nurture your middle leaders and your your strong teachers that are good because otherwise they're going to disappear and go elsewhere and and there's definitely a, a place for kind of the difference between coaching and mentoring and kind of what you can get out of a, a staff member and how you can encourage them and improve them
2: yeah completely and i th- I, I'm not sure really, I can't say, but anecdotally, I'm not certain that people have got the difference pinned down really in their minds, um, you know, and I think that's why that first page is in there, just differentiating or just distinguishing coaching and mentoring and it's, and I got it down to like the simplest possible sentence, you know, like the coach asks, whereas the mentor tells, and and that's the beauty of coaching. I love a coaching approach. Um, I kind of approach that in all the different facets of my current role. Um, you know, it's asking questions to the person I'm trying to help the person in front of me, and it's empowering them. And often that person I'm talking to has got the answers or the strategy better than me. Um, but I'm just, you know, those questions are the tools to help them plan what they're going to do next. And I just think it can be such an effective approach. I see quite a few, I I, I facilitate a session on coaching at the university. And um, it's, really, it's really interesting because I think the challenge of coaching is being a good listener. It's really hard to be a genuinely good listener yeah. and not try and answer or, or fix the problem. But, um, you know, I ask the right follow-up question. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one.
1: I, I, I think it's it's that, isn't it? It's it's We want to help and want to, especially with teaching, you want to give them the solution of how to do it better. But it's actually more beneficial to kind of, just ask the right questions and for them to get there themselves, um, and work. And then almost sometimes you can kind of get more out of what it is that they need than kind of what, um, you initially would have thought of if you just blurted everything out. Um, so yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think some of them say out loud, you know, it's one of some of the questions, you know, like in the grow model, for example, and others are about like, what's your current situation? And or what have you tried yet? Who Who's around you that has had a similar issue, and they've addressed it successfully? You know, who can you talk to? It's not kind of It's just, yeah, it's just placing the person you're working with at the center of it and, you know, giving them voice and agency as to like, well, what's going on around you and like, who can we draw from or what resources do you have? What can you try? What can you try next? It's, yeah, it's a really powerful approach, I think.
1: And then chapter nine is assessment. Now I feel assessment, like, I don't know how you've, how you've narrowed it down. Like, I feel like there's so many different ways uh, to do it now. Essentially, I suppose it does all come under this, like a few headings, doesn't it? It's just the variation of them.
2: I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Really tricky because there's, you know, assessment of. I kept coming across new. I mean, as I say, you know, I'm not in. I haven't been in primary or secondary education, so I'm not sort of so familiar with the vernacular. But, um I would come across more and more in the in the reading for these pages, you know, like assessment of learning, assessment as learning, so it was yeah, that first page of that that chapter is I think quite important because it's a real all sorts of terms that have been around for sort of longer or shorter periods of time, and it I can just imagine that's a bit of a head scratcher for a trainee teacher right now to try and think, oh. Also, that's assessment as learning, you know, oh, I need to know, <laughs> I need, it's really important that I need to know the difference between this and that, and it could mean something quite different, um, just because of a small word in the middle of the word assessment and learning.
1: I I like stealth assessment. I hadn't thought of it as being called stealth assessment. Um, but yeah, I was like, oh, I'm going to use that all the time now, because um, I, I, I just like that. Um, but I just, I don't know, I just never, I just never had a name for that. But obviously that's just because I've never been on a it's one of those you inherit all the names from courses and CPD that you do but um, this is like oh it's got everything
2: <laughs> yeah I love this one too I think I mean it could be you know it could be uh, challenged in terms of is it kind of ethical that you might be checking out a students uh, understanding of something without their knowledge you know it's open to that challenge but I think you know on the on the flip side for anxious people it it could it's it's potentially got some brilliance in there because you know you you can observe somebody really flying and doing their best at something like really shining um so it's really is that then you know really genuinely assessing someone's knowledge or skills understanding of something because it's not about like the performance of being assessed it's about they're really engaged deeply in in that the game or whatever it is um and that's shining. And that's a, Is that a more genuine way of assessing? Yes. Yeah, again, it's just really interesting to me.
1: <laughs> I, I think as well, it's one of those ones where the best ideas come from, because from an art teacher, especially when they get into the independent areas in, in kind of GCSE and uh, A level, and they kind of have their own choices and you just kind of sit with them casually and ask them kind of questions. and. And you see their minds and their cogs going and they're answering them and answering them and then they just suddenly end up down this path of everything clicking and it's like ah they do know everything and they do understand everything and then they just thrive so sometimes those kind of little stealth conversations um can actually really prove to themselves that they know exactly what they're doing and, and give them the confidence to push themselves further so i'm like yeah i'm i'm, I'm very much as stealth assessor um i feel like i need to go write that into my assessment policy tomorrow Um, (laughs) that sounds good that's a better word for what we do
2: (laughs) you know years ago when i was on my teacher training i had this brilliant brilliant classmate who said he um he i think he was a drama teacher but he said, you know, I don't, don't call it a test or an exam or something. Call it a fun quiz or pub quiz or something. Get them into yeah. groups, let them ha- like come up with a name, you know. So it's all about, you know, on the surface, it's always a bit fun and it's gamified because um, it's about points and things. But you are actually, there's, you know, you really are checking what they, they recall about something. Um, so yeah, there's different, different ways. And
1: then the last chapter, um, chapter 10. Uh, teaching approaches so this is the the biggest chapter so this has the most in it and i think this has probably got the the things that people will have heard of most so it's got like implicit instruction um didactic teaching and stuff so it's got um differentiation the flipped classroom they're all kind of things that we would have all known and heard um throughout many a cpds um, but I think it is is—it is just nice to have them all kind of summarise, but also kind of have that flow of how they vary from one to another.
2: I think so. Yeah, this is um, there's a lot. There's a lot in this one. So I'll try to kind of, yeah, same as usual, kind of just sum, su- summarise its meaning, but also signpost, you know, like the scaffolding. So everyone's on board, with, you know, with, the, with, with what scaffolding is. But, um, you know, I've got a second page on that with all sorts of different approaches to scaffolding. You know, like I, I wasn't familiar with the, you know, I was implicitly, but I didn't know they were, you know, I hadn't explicitly thought of the difference between hard and soft scaffolding, you know, pre-planned or spontaneous scaffolding around what a student's doing. And then, you know, is it metacognitive? Um, or sensory or interactive so it's just I think it could be useful for more experienced teachers as well you know just to think in terms of like how can we scaffold in these different ways
1: and and that's Um, it isn't it because I think especially like with when new trainee teachers are kind of understanding students needs especially because like our school has passports so you can read what their needs are and it's quite nice they interview the students and they tell them kind of the better ways that they learn and then there's obviously all the professionals kind of um, strategies that they put in place but this kind of can break it down as to to why you're doing it or or kind of right if they've got a sensory issue that's the type of kind of scaffolding that you need to include and it, it just makes them think it kind of puts in the, the step between like they need scaffolding and we all know that that what that means but actually to break it down into those different sections is really useful and actually thinks about the purpose of your scaffolding rather than scaffolding for scaffolding sake if that makes sense
2: yeah yeah absolutely that's the
1: aim yeah um and then that's the thing there's 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 uh, lots of there's dirt i mean i i use dirt but but it's one of those i only use it kind of once or twice a year it's in specific places um, and I think that's the thing for me it's kind of gone yeah that's why it's remembering the theory as to why i put it in the places that i put it in as well um because that's my thing is that i like to explain to my trainee teachers as to why i teach the way i teach and why it's ordered in the way i, I teach it and why i kind of do those strategies like that so my kids are building skills and build, building on prior knowledge and things but they're, they're learning it in lots of different ways for a reason and this is kind of these have the reasons as to why they work or why they need multiple options as opposed to just one way of learning um, but yeah yeah have you have you got a, f- a favorite one in there
0: <laughs>
2: um oh crikey have i got a favorite have i got a favorite one oh i'm that's a that's a tricky question um, no, I feel
1: like this is your baby. I don't. You couldn't uh, pick one child.
2: <laughs> I mean, kind of generally, my i I love about, like I said, I, I love kind of the exploration of non-learning and mislearning. Why somebody might have learned something but learned the wrong thing or misunderstood what it what what it was supposed to be. Um, yeah, and just those small things. I mean, if you had you yeah like this thing called the forgetting curve. Um, yes. which is pretty straightforward in terms of you know like you you learn something and over time you you forget it pretty straightforward concept but just the the fact that that was based originally on some 19th century research with somebody who he was his own research participant and it was about his recall of nonsense syllables so it's kind of the original concept even though it seems to be kind of just inherently true that you forget stuff over time especially if you don't recall it with retrieval practice or and um use it um it was actually based it was conceived a long long time ago in a really kind of slightly strange way um so i suppose rather than a particular page it's like little nuggets and things like that um that i love i love about the whole endeavor of, of this book really for me Sorry, if that's a rubber chance. <laughs> no,
1: no, no, no. That, that's completely. I, I picked out that when I I read that one, um, because I've I've got year ten tutor group and trying to get them to understand the the reasons behind their study and why it's important is is going in one ear and out the other at the moment. But I'm like, I will persevere with them. They will get there in the end. They will understand if I tell them enough why it's really important that they keep kind of retrieving that information. I feel like that they're, they're, they're I've got twenty five teenage children that i've got to try and get through two years of their gcses um you do get attached you can't help it um but yeah so i i just really enjoyed it, it was it was really lovely to um kind of read through it like i said it's 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 visually kind of really easy to read and the way it's set out and the lovely little pictures kind of do just make me chuckle all the way through and i think that's the thing it needs to be light-hearted and education because we're all stressed out and, and busy as it is. And that's kind of what makes this almost like a little it wasn't it wasn't a chore to read it. It was an absolute pleasure because it was like um like just it was just fun. It made me smile. And I think it, that's hard to do with educational research as well.
2: Oh Well, thank you so much for saying that, Hannah. I really appreciate that. <laughs>
1: And I will be definitely uh, showing this to my students tomorrow because I, I think they might have to sit there with it open, to be honest, because I'm like, I'm going straight in on a on, uh, majority of these. I, th- I think um, I should have um, really played bingo with my PowerPoint and seen how many of these words I've included in my uh, day of training tomorrow. Because <laughs> I've That'll got be a lot of them in them. Um, oh, okay. I mean, arts, art, um, we just had a new, uh Ofsted framework come out. So we've got practical knowledge, theoretical knowledge, disciplinary knowledge. Uh so they're gonna be their kind of key ones. Um, but just the different types of knowledge within art. But it, it is, is that thing that there's just so much to teaching that I think we and that's why teaching's hard and that's why people don't realise that teaching's hard until they get into it. Everyone just thinks it's just standing up and and saying something but actually there's so much that goes into it to be successful and that's what's nice about this is it kind of it shows you all this all the blocks that you need to be able to do it and and why it works and what works and what doesn't work and the things you need to consider um in a really lovely way that uh, i just think every student needs it
2: (laughs) so much i appreciate that
1: Well, that's our hour. We've chatted away. Uh, So thank you so much for coming and joining me Uh, and let me have the privilege of reading your book. Um, Like I said, it was really lovely to read and um, I'll look forward to the next one, I guess. Uh,
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think the next one's out in January or February next year. So it's a very similar kind of format, but it's about learning activities. So um, yeah, but no, it's been lovely. Thanks for having me on geeking out about my book. Um can I just say if anyone's interested yeah the main like the main place I am online is on Instagram on learning theories shared. So come and have a look um if you're interested. And
1: and it's available from Sage Publishing.
2: And yeah on Sage. So and Amazon anywhere you like just if you google the title then then you'll find it.
1: Fabulous. Well thank you so much for joining me on this Wednesday night and enjoy the rest of your week.